Okay. So I am uh, Lon Seidman. As I said, I have a channel called Lon.TV on YouTube, and you can find me there. I, I cover retro stuff occasionally. In fact, just last night, I posted a video about the Mister and a new little device that I got, and I'm joined by... I'm Bob, the founder of RetroRGB and a fan of Lon's, so I'm very lucky to be up here. Thank you for having me again. Thanks for, thanks for coming and oh, yeah. for, for being drafted on. So Bob is my <laughs> fact checker, so as I'm like spewing nonsense, he will correct me. <laughs> um, but uh, we did this panel about uh, two years ago, the last time we had a Retro World Expo. And at that point, people weren't all that familiar with what the Mister was all about. Um, so what we thought we would do is kind of do a brief overview of what it is if you're looking to buy one. Uh, and then we'll get into kind of the more advanced topics and take your questions as we go. Now, there's a lot of you know, debate over whether or not this is better than a Raspberry Pi or whatever. And my position on this is that, you know, because I cover a lot of different types of tech and, and believe it or not, even when I review things like printers, there's always like this brand loyalty and people like one thing versus the other. And for me, I'm happy when people find the thing that works for them. And so for me, the Mister really is something, as a person that grew up with retro computers and retro game consoles, I'm a child of the 80s, so I had the Atari 2600 and the Apple II, my friends had the Commodores. And what I love about the Mister is that it's given me a way to explore a lot of what I missed as a kid and re-experience the things that I did have as a kid. Um, so those are the things that kind of really attracted me to this platform. And um, as you'll see as we work our way through some of the hardware here, um, there are ways in which not only does it replicate things quite well, but it actually displays things accurately on a CRT television. And that's his, uh, his ballywick here. So to do a mister, um, you don't have to spend a lot to get going. In fact, if you buy just the DE10 Nano board, which is the, the base of the mister project, you can get started with a number of the cores without having to buy anything else. You can't run everything. Um, but there are a lot of things that just run with a straight-up DE10 Nano out of the box and an SD card. Um, the Mister Project has a great website and a guide to get you going. Um, they have these great scripts that update everything. And one of the fun things about the Mister is that if I put it down for two or three months and come back to it, suddenly it's like a whole new device because everything gets updated. You run the script, you walk away for 10 minutes, and when you come back, you've got you know, more, more treasures of the 80s available to you. And I think one of the, the, the neat things to think about about how this works is that this has an FPGA processor on board. And so when these cores are written, they are replicating, and correct me here, um, they are replicating the logic and the circuitry of the original hardware. So if you think about preservation, we want to preserve software, and we can do that, and have been doing it for 20-something years. The main project has been great about that software preservation side and the emulation side. Um, but you also have to remember that a lot of the hardware was made custom for each of these computers and arcade cabinets. So you have a situation where we have the software largely preserved, but the logic and the circuitry of the original hardware is kind of at risk of fading away if we're not diligent about bringing these things back. So Mr. kind of completes the circle in that the cores that you load on program that FPGA processor to conduct itself exactly the same way that the original hardware did. The same circuit paths are put into place. And if I'm not mistaken, a few of the cores have been, what, people burning off chips to get the logic? Yeah, they're so accurate that uh, just recently a developer from Canada, Stephanie Allaire, took the FM chip, audio chip core, 
and put it on a much less powerful FPGA than that, and you could plug it directly into any device that used the original. So it's that accurate that you could use it to replace the original chips on any motherboard that used it. So there are people that actually look at the circuits that are in the chip, you know, things that they photographically burned into the silicon uh, to make these cores. And you can have bad cores that don't work at all or bad cores that don't work accurately. Um, but when it's done right, it, it's great. And I think what works here with the MISTER project is that the code is, is modular to some degree. So when somebody makes a 6502 processor, you know, there's a team that can focus on that processor and make it better. And when it gets better, everyone's cores benefit. And so that's the kind of thing that I think separates this from a Raspberry Pi or something else. And it's also why it's more expensive. Um, but you know, if you're looking for the best experience and to know you have the best, I think this is the best, but it doesn't mean the other solutions aren't good. And if you think about it, you know, the old Commodore, even the things as, as old as the Commodore 64 are massively parallel devices. You have, you have the SID chip, whatever that does. You've got the 6502. All these things have to work in concert. And one of the things about FPGA is you'll find them in your car. Um, they can do a lot of parallel processing. Um, they use them for video encoders. Um, the Mac, the big fancy Mac card that you can buy for $10,000 is an FPGA. So, um, so DE10 Nano is kind of the heart of this. It is made by a company called Terra, Terrasic? Terrasic. Terrasic. Yep. Um, and not that expensive, 170-ish bucks. Um, expensive for what it looks like, but it, it, for what it is, it's not that bad. And then, if you want to have complete compatibility, you buy 128 megabytes of SD RAM, um, 50, 60 bucks, give or take. I believe so, yeah. It's the and most you'll pay for that amount of RAM. It's a part shortage, who knows when the prices are going to vary, but right. yeah, about that. And so when you've got the SD RAM and you have the DE10 Nano, you can run everything. Everything works. So, you know, you can add on things to it later, but the RAM and the DE10 Nano, you're good to go. Now, there's some optional stuff you can get. You have an I.O. board, which I have on the top of my unit right here. And what this does is it allows you to output to a CRT provided you have an RGB input on it, a component input. Uh, either one, yeah. And so, Bob, if it's, is it easy to get a regular old TV working with this setup, or it's a little harder? It's actually easier to get, as long as your TV has component video inputs, which here in the US you would see that over or any of the other higher end inputs, that's very easy. All you would need is a VGA to component cable, not a converter, just a little pass-through cable that passes it. Um, you could also output RGB or VGA through this. So even if you had just a, you know, like an old Dell VGA CRT monitor, you could plug that directly into it as well. So, and if I had like a TV without a component input, what would I have to do? So there are, there are different I.O. boards out there now that are trying to address this. There's one that outputs S-Video via a Saturn S-Video cable, and that works perfectly. None of them will work right at the moment with composite video because you need to dial in the signal, and I have a prototype of one where you could do just that. You mm -hmm. output composite video, and then you turn a little dial until it looks right. But at the moment, the lowest you could consistently go is S-Video. Um, but that's probably going to change in the next year. So if you don't have a component input, it does take a little bit more work. It's not yeah. as simple as plugging it into the RCA composite jack on Correct. the Correct. I'm so hoping at some point you will get exactly that. Just a little yellow cable, mm -hmm. any CRT in the world, but that's, we're not there yet for that one. So hopefully at some point some doodad will come out to, <laughs> to exactly. do that. And I'll say I was lucky because my, my father had called me one day and he said, hey, I'm renovating the house. I'm getting rid of this CRT TV. Do you want it? And I said, yeah, I'll take it. And I, it sat up in my little game room for three years. And one day I'm, I was looking for something behind it and I was like, oh my gosh, I got a component input on this sucker. 
So I went out and bought that cable. I plugged it in and it was like, holy crap. And, it, and I had the Mister now for a year and a half and it became a whole new device to me because you can load up a Commodore 64 and it looks like what it looked like back when I was a kid, but better. Because now you've got your, your colors crisp and separated properly, not mushed together. Uh, the NES looks great on it. I'll, sh I'll show you some footage in a second. Um, you also have a few other things that are optional that you might want to add on as well. Um, and there's one other thing you can do with the I.O. board, which I'll talk about in a minute. Um, I have a USB hub on the bottom of mine, and it's just convenient to have that because you get, what, six or seven USB ports on the bottom of your mister. And you'll want to have those because you'll want to hook up an external hard drive like I have here. Um, you'll want to connect your game controllers with USB um, because you might want the lowest possible latency when you are on that CRT television, for example. Um, so it's, you can use any USB hub with it, but having it in the stack makes a lot of sense for me. So that'll add a little bit of cost if you want to go that route. Um, there are some cases available, which I would recommend because you got a lot of bare circuits on here. They're probably sensitive to, to winter time, right? Um, and then another thing that I just got the other day is something called a snack, which is a device that plugs into, there's a, there's a USB looking port on the IO board. And that port actually is not a USB port, but a serial port for the snack. And when you connect that, uh, you can hook up light guns and other regular game controllers to the mister. Now the light guns will not work, and I just did a full video on this, you can check out on my channel. The light guns won't work with an HDMI television, but they will work on a CRT, provided you've got the component input and you can plug in the thing. Um, and so I was able to do that. I can show you a video of that real quick. Um, the other day. Who remembers this game? Uh, this was uh, Freedom Force. And so I had this hooked up to my TV. This was using the, the NES core. And it was just as good as the original. And in fact, it was better because the, the video quality of the RGB looked great. So the zapper worked fine. I actually was like, uh, you'll see in a minute, I, I aim off the target just to make sure it wasn't just registering everything. And it seemed to work great. And this is uh, another little thing you can add on to your mister over time. So you don't have to, again, do everything um, all at once if, if you don't want to. Um, so oops. So that's, that's kind of the, the, the hardware overview. And after you get these pieces together, you know, you're ready to go. And like I said, you can do the RAM and, and the, the mister itself and, you know, you're, or the DE10 Nano, and you're pretty much ready to go. Um, so what I thought I would do here, let me get my keyboard out. One thing I recommend too is having a keyboard available because it's just easier sometimes to navigate. How do you navigate yours, Bob? What do you usually do? Um, I have a USB keyboard exactly like yours and in the, uh, the Mr. Cade, because you could build these into arcade machines too, mm -hmm. I have it all locked down so that I, you can't really mess with anything. So it never changes. Right, so let me pull up our list here. So what I thought I would do is just kind of briefly go through some of the things you can run on it in case you're not familiar with it or you haven't looked at it in a while. Um, so there's a lot of arcade games that have made their way here. Bob, there's some new developments, right? So the Capcom games have been some of the more recent ones? Yeah, there's always new cores being added. And it, it, just a, a quick aside, anytime you hear the word new core being added, especially when it comes to arcade games, they are recreating the hardware of each arcade board. So with the consoles, it's still complicated, but once you get it, then you just load up you know, the hundreds of ROMs for each console. But every arcade board needs to be recreated from scratch 
via the uh, software that this stuff runs. So it's very impressive to see what the team behind it has done. And a lot of this stuff runs on your CRT television. So for example, we can boot up um, Street Fighter 2 here. And hopefully my mister cooperates. Sometimes you know, it gets a little crazy. And this all looks familiar, right? You can see the, the thing in, when you, on your emulators and stuff. But there's something special about it when you get that title screen on your CRT television in your house. You know, as a kid, like, that's what we all wanted. We got close to it with the SNES versions and the Genesis and the 3DOs and stuff. But it just looks amazing. Uh, it looks amazing in HDMI. You do have filters. Um, there's a lot of stuff you can do to refine the image. Um, I typically, and I went off, Bob, what, what Smoke Monster likes, which is like one of the basic ones. Which ones do you like to use for the, the There filter? are brand new filters coming out that uh, are on par with what you see in some of the newer scalers, like the RetroTINK 5X. Um, so those are still in progress, but those really recreate what the look of a CRT is. Very impressive. And it doesn't add any latency or anything. Zero too. latency added with all of these features. So there's a lot you can do here just on your HDMI TV, even if you can't get the, the RGB go, going with it. And what's neat is that if you are doing RGB, um, you can output HDMI simultaneously. So if you're a streamer and you wanted to show like a, a night of NES light gun games, you could do that uh, very easily without having to try to get your camera in sync with your CRT. Um, sound works great. I don't have the sound hooked up right now because that was like 12 other cables I have to bring. Um, but it, it's just a, you know, as accurate as you can be here. And, and it's a, such a labor of love, I think, in what goes into it. And if you want to switch cores, you know, you can just go back out to your menu here and load up something different. One thing that you'll run into on a number of games is that a lot of these games would have the, um, the display orientation in Tate mode, or as our friends at GameSack would say, what? Tate mode. Tate mode. Tate mode. <laughs> um, I can't wait to meet that guy. I want I to just do that to him. Um, <laughs> so, so for example, like you could, I don't know if Zaxxon's one of these games that's oriented that way, but you could have a game like Zaxxon, I'm presuming that it is, um, when you load it up, your TV is going to display it the way the arcade TV did, because this is circuits here. So as far as I know, on the RGB, you cannot rotate the screen? No, because that would add about a frame of lag. Right. Uh, and they're, I think they're thinking about a mode to do that, but um, they're trying to keep it as, the RGB output they want to be as original as possible, because usually the enthusiast that would have that would have the equipment. Right. But the HDMI side, there's a million options to, to rotate. Even if you have a, a monitor where you could actually rotate your mm -hmm. flat screen, yep. you could switch it back and forth. So you have every option you need. So if you do hook it up to your RGB television and it's, and it's the wrong way, you have to just turn your TV over. Okay, so you know if you got with those little ones that you got, those yeah. no problem. But my big one, forget it. So sometimes <laughs> it's a little more tricky than than that, but um, it works. Um, so there's a lot of arcade stuff. It keeps getting updated. The cool thing with the arcades is that when you run the update script, it just you just get everything. Um, so there's not a lot of hunting around for stuff. Um, everything just gets put into your menu here, and it works. And it's kind of nerve-wracking to me sometimes as a real tech control freak. I like to know what's going on. <laughs> but um, the nice thing about the Mister is that it's kind of its own thing to me. So I'm OK with things getting updated on their own and, and knowing that it's just going to work when I get in there. They've been able to do that quite well. Uh, consoles are pretty ex you know, extensive at this point. Um, you get all the original Atari consoles. The Lynx is on here. Um, my favorite from a kid is the ColecoVision, which works great. Um, so, you know, when you see that on a CRT again, because my ColecoVision is long since dead. I've been playing it in emulation for, for decades, you know, to get that, that screen up again is just awesome because it just was something my friends and I would just play, you know, for months <laughs> on end. Um, so that was like the, the popular game console in the neighborhood. They've got Game Boy. 
Um, one thing that's really neat, and I'll show you a video of this, is they have something called Game Boy 2P. I learned about this on your website. Why don't you talk about it while I get the screen to work again? So the developer, Robert Pipe, who did the core for the Game Boy, or worked on it, plus he did the Game Boy Advance core and a bunch of other stuff, worked on a way to get two players simultaneously. And depending on the core, so Game Boy versus Game Boy Advance, you could have two people playing on the same TV. You could have the analog output having one player and the HDMI output having the other player. And it's a really cool way to experience two-player Game Boy games without having to have matching Game Boys, the link cable, two cartridges, and all that stuff. Uh, and it works perfect, zero lag. And what you're looking at here, basically, Bob, if I'm not mistaken, is that they've basically taken two Game Boy cores, mm -hmm. which are, again, replications of the circuitry. And Game Boy, of course, had a circuit, if we guess you can call it that, right, that connects one Game Boy to the other with a serial cable. So that serial cable is kind of being simulated yeah. in a way that these cores feel like, hey, they're plugged in together. Exactly. I mean, imagine, like, this is a very stupid analogy, but imagine the Terminator 2 liquid Terminator turning itself into two Game Boys with a cable connecting between them. It's both a ridiculous analogy and yeah. kind of perfect to what's going on right here. <laughs> so, and it's funny, you're the top search result on Google for this. So when I looked at this up last night, I was like, oh, Bob's, Bob's yeah. got it under. It's very embarrassing when I Google the answer to something <laughs> and an article I wrote pops up. Yeah, right. So. That's what happens in our advanced stage. <laughs> you know. um, and what was fun about, like, just shooting this footage was that I, I, I hadn't seen the screen in like 25 years, right? Because like you had to have a friend with a Game Boy, you know, it wasn't easy to do. Um, so now you can, you know, play Game Boy the way it was uh, it was meant to be. It's pretty, it's pretty neat. Um, so the GBA is on here, both in two-player versions and one-player versions. Um, Sega Genesis, the Mega CD, um, the Neo Geo is is pretty amazing um, on this too. And this is one where they they just who, who did this this core? Oh. I think uh, I think this might have been a collaboration, and I think uh, a bunch of different people tweaked it towards the end. I can't remember who did the original core, but a lot of people in the community were jumping on that. I'm sorry if I got that wrong. I know the Mr. Team sometimes gets mad at me when I get my facts <laughs> wrong, but I, I do know that it, a lot of other people have contributed. And things like um, Furtech, a developer who does some of that decapping, uh, a lot of the chips he worked on, that code was backported. I know Risha has done work on this before. so. Yeah, it's a, it's a very cool core. It works well. And everything is perfect, right down to the slowdown in some of these games. You know, it's funny because when you, when you look at some of these Neo Geo games, our, our, our memories of it as children or as young people was that this is like the, 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 the pinnacle of power. And you play something like Metal Slug and you see a lot of slowdown. And, and I was thinking, is this core right? And, and sure enough. <laughs> Dead accurate, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's one of those things. But again, this is another thing that works on the CRT also. So if you ever really wanted to get a feel for what this was like um, back in its time, um, you have the ability to do that. And one thing to notice too is just how quickly you can jump between systems here. So we have Neo Geo. I can go you know, to the SNES here just with a key press. It loads in the thing here. And if I had games on that thing, I could, <laughs> I could do it. Uh, the TurboGrafx-16 uh, uh, core now supports the CD games. Yeah, that's actually a good point because um, so I know a lot of people that have original uh, core graphics or Turbo Graphics 16. They even a lot of them even use the CD modules, but they never got super graphics because it's a lot of money to spend on something for just a small handful of games. Uh, so I know a bunch of people that bought the Mister just to play super graphics games because it was cheaper than finding a super graphics out in the wild. So. And I, I remember. So I have a, a funny story about the super graphics. When I was a, a kid, I had a cable access TV show. 
and I, I covered video. I should have stuck with it because I, I would not be like that commodity guy <laughs> like on YouTube. Um, but I did a, a show about video games. And I, I started it because I, I bought a copy of Game Players Magazine at the mall. And one of the people I did a two-page spread was this, this company called uh, the um, uh, something Video Game Club. Um, and they, were, they happened to be right, what's that? Was it, was it the ultimate, ultimate game, game club? Yes. Yep. Thank you. Um, the ultimate game club, and they happened to be in the town next over from me. So I'm thinking, like, hey, I'm starting a show about video games, and like these guys had all of the mysterious technology from Japan. And I walked in there one day, and they agreed to let me record stuff. It was great for them. And I brought in my camcorder, my big VHS camcorder, and plugged it into their thing. And they had a super graphics there, and it was like, whoa, this is like really amazing. But there was what only like five or six games that ever <laughs> came up came out for it. Um, but I, if you go on my channel, I have an interview with the general manager of the store. He came on, so you see me in a suit at 13 years old interviewing <laughs> this guy about, about what's 1990 going to bring. Um, but again, another, you know, another console that's kind of lost to time that has been accurately replicated here. It does uh, CD uh, stuff as well. Um, so for example, um, the Castlevania game here, I don't think I have all my controls mapped, but I had this hooked up to my stereo system. The music on this is amazing because it's all mm. arranged, you know, Red Book audio and stuff. And it all just runs perfectly. And you can just jump from one to the other. And I think about like what the kid that had the cable TV show would have been like if I had this, you know? And now I'm like 45 years old. I got two kids and I'm busy and I can never have time to play video games anymore. And I've got like every game ever in my life sitting in this thing that, um, that I can play. Um, so, you know, you can see some of the systems there. What about PlayStation, Bob? Like, there's, there's, like, where's the limit? Like, where do you think we cannot go any further? I mean, definitely not anything like PlayStation 3. Uh, you know, anything, anything that outputted HDMI at the moment is probably not feasible, but PlayStation 1 core is, is coming along really, really fast. The same developer that did the Game Boy Advance core, Robert Pipe, um, was working on that one. There's another team working on that as well, so I'm not, you know, I think that's some, some happy, friendly competition there, but the end result, it's all open source, so it doesn't really matter who gets it, because it's all going to be shared and, and, and used to make it better anyway. And the Sega Saturn core, the developer working on that just had another update posted where it's starting to look good. And that amazes so. me, like, how, how do you get Sega yeah. Saturn to fit on that chip? Because one of the things that you run into with FPGAs is that there's actually a physical size limitation that you need a chip with enough room on enough of these logic cores. So that, is that the right term? Logic, logic, logic mm -hmm. cores? CLUs. CLUs. Um, that if you have enough CLUs to, to do a certain system. So the Mister is the, is the sequel to the Mist, and the Mist had a smaller FPGA on board. So it could barely handle the Sega Genesis. I think it was able to do the graphics, but not the sound. Um, so this one has enough to do the Neo Geo and perhaps the Sega Saturn, but there's a lot of chips on the Saturn. Yeah. But if you want an accurate replication, that's going to be some really good emulators out now for sure. Um, but you know, I think the Mister will, will get it there. And the computer stuff is amazing too. So there's a 486 core that'll give you, what, a 486-ish computer? Yeah, DX30 or something? Yeah. I'm probably getting that wrong, but it's, uh, it's fast enough where everybody that follows me knows I love Mortal Kombat, and they were joking like, hey, if you want a Mortal Kombat 2 on your mister, you could play the 486 PC version of it. And I was laughing so hard, like that is the coolest, nerdiest thing I could possibly think of. You can Boot actually run Windows core. 95 on it too. Mm -hmm. let, me re let me reset it here and see if I can get it to work. Now last year we did Windows 3.1, because you couldn't get 95 <laughs> to work at that point, but, um, and it'll run a lot of DOS games. Um, I know that there's a, a project, and maybe you're familiar with the MT32 thing. Is, yes. So now, yes. so the the Roland MT32. Everyone, anyone not know what that is? Um, so 
Back in my day as a PC gamer, that was like the, the best music you could get out of your games. But how do you make it work? You need uh, a Raspberry Pi or something? How does that? Uh, yeah, so it's a bit complicated because you need another thing that plugs into it. Uh, but it is very accurate. There's a, if anybody wants to know details about it, um, Artemio, uh, who's a, you know, a, a very well-regarded member of the retro gaming community, just did a podcast with the, the, uh, one of the people that worked on it to go into detail of what it is and, and how it works. But it's, it's a pretty perfect recreation of that, of something that was like unobtainable for us back in the day. <laughs> and unfortunately, it looks like our our core is going to fail us at the moment. But sometimes, just like the original DOS days, things never usually work right. So it, it really is a very true DOS experience, and it's not always the fault of the core. It's yeah, just the, the core is probably running perfect. Yeah, that's probably just what that's like for, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, there's something going on that just is messing it up. I had this uh, inkling to, to try to see if I could get onto Telnet BBSs with it. So I, I went out and like just dug around looking for old DOS terminal software. And I was able to get the, uh, they have a virtual UART, and long story, but you, you could get Telnet BBSs to work through your mister in AO486. And what's neat about it is that back in those days when you were on a BBS on a DOS computer, it was a full screen experience, right? You get those beautiful colors, all the ANSI graphics, and you can get that again on here because you're running, you know, pretty much a, a four by three square image here that isn't sitting in a window, it's running at the speed that those sites kind of ran at, depending on your modem. Um, so it's a great way to explore that. And then one night I was actually able to get calls to come into it. So I, I, I used to run a Maximus, B I'm such a nerd, I, I used to run a Maximus BBS back in the day. Did you ever go on BBS? Oh, of course. Yeah. We probably crossed paths, we're two Connecticut people. Most likely, yeah, at yeah. some point. Sorry um, if I was an asshole as a little kid. That's right, everybody on, every, <laughs> everyone on BBSs were, <laughs> had their moments, but I was too. I was a moderator of a Fidonet Echo once. So, oh, jeez. Yeah. I, um, I, I became a bit of a tyrant. I had actually somebody call me to say, you've got to tone it down a little bit. <laughs> but, um, uh, what's, uh, but, you know, so I was able actually to dial in over Telnet into the system. So there's a lot that, because it works the way it does, that you can, you can do that. Um, the Apple II core has been getting a lot of love lately, so now it does the Apple IIe. Uh, before it was just Apple II Plus, so now you can actually use upper and lowercase um, characters on it. Um, <laughs> Play Oregon Trail. Yeah, Oregon Trail. <laughs> There's some great packages that you can download. There's um, a very active Apple II community that's done a lot of software preservation. So, you know, if you play with the Apple as a kid, you've got um, all your favorite uh, educational titles, like where in the USA is Carmen Sandiego and everything else. And if you note, as we're jumping around systems here, you can see how quickly it switches. Hmm. And that's been some of the things that I've loved the most about this, is that there's just no, there's no friction, because what you're doing is you're loading in logic into this, you know, into this FPGA, and it's just executing. You know? It's just a, a very fast experience. And, and for me, honestly, like when, I, when my kids actually go to bed early, this is what I really like to explore, because I had an Apple II, my friends had Commodores, some of my friends had Amigas and Atari STs, and I never really had a lot of time with those systems. And to be able to kind of connect into those communities and see what is out there software-wise and start running you know, demos on the Commodore 64, for example, to see that scene, you know, that's all stuff that you can start exploring and understanding better. Um, I think you can also do BBSing on the Commodore. And there are actual Commodores that are still running today with BBS systems on the internet that you can connect up with. Yeah. Have you seen the six-part BBS documentary that's on YouTube? Yes, really the Jason Scott one. I'm like that right through. It's great. Actually, if you're looking for a really good look at that world, that's a great documentary. Um, the, did you see the ANSI artwork one part? Um, 
So I think it's like a little bit later into the series. But it's a six-part documentary by a guy named Jason Scott, who's very big in, in the retro computing scene. He, run, he actually works for the Internet Archive. And he's, he's the guy that collects all this stuff. Like any kind of digital whatever, he just ingests it. Um, and he did a great documentary on what the BBS scene was like. Um, there were, at one point, on the Fidonet, uh, 20 or 30,000 computers that were basically hopscotching data to each other. So I had, my system would connect to a system in the next town over. He was the regional hub. So I would send messages into there, and then it would go, and in a day, it would go around the world. Just one phone call to the other. Mom was not happy with the phone bill, but she was glad I was doing that and not drugs or something. So she was, <laughs> she was willing to, to put up with the phone bill. So Definitely um, leave a link to that documentary, because I imagine people watching this after the fact would be like, oh, I want to yeah, watch that I'll afterwards. Yeah, definitely put it so, in there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, it's amazing, because you get a real appreciation for, you know, for what went on there. They got a great Mac Plus thing working here. It doesn't look like it's working, but it really does. Um, so you can boot up. Uh, there we go. Oh, no, I got to put it in the disk here. Um, it's funny, screens like that on the original CRT monitors just looked like loading screens, and yeah. then you see them on modern digital technology, and it's like, is the core broken? Oh, no, wait, that's just how it's supposed to look. Yes, it's how it's supposed to work. So I, here we go. I, gotta, I have a disk image here we can boot up here real quick. Um, let's see if it boots this time. But yeah, you just find a good image. You know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So just like the original, oh, there it goes. It's Happy Mac. And the image looks a little bit weird because of how the scaling is going through the projector, but... Um, and they run you know, at the speed that they ran back then. And a Mac is another good example. It's a 68,000 processor. So this, this processor is likely used in the Amiga and the Sega Genesis. And this gets better when the, other, when the processor part gets better. So you know, that's the kind of stuff that, that you, you get with it. But you know, my mouse is working. So it's just fun to you know, even to dive into the computing part um, because there's just so much um, that you probably did not experience at a time, and now you can. Um, again, it works on, on the CRT. So, um, so that's kind of the overview of some of the things that, that I like about it. Um, you know, it, it, again, it's, it's a, a, a bit more costly. Um, but I, I think you know, if I had to pick a differentiator, I, I would have to say, disagree with me, if, if, feel free. But I think the RGB output is the big, like, it, it, for no other reason, that to me is like a big differentiator, because it's not some scaled thing coming out of a Raspberry Pi that's going through some crazy processing. It is, it is coming out just like these original systems did. Real time. Yeah. I would say if you have an RGB monitor, that would probably be the number one thing. But I, I think one small step above that is the accuracy of a lot of these cores. Uh, because there's already, um, in fact, we, we were just talking yesterday about how there's going to be a fighting game tournament run off of a Mr. Soon because the cores got that accurate that even the top 1% of players cannot tell the difference. There's no, if you set it up properly, there's no input latency. Everything is, even down to the bug exploits that fighting game players will use doing it. I mean, it is exactly like the original for a lot of them. And I think that's the number one thing is while software emulation could be amazingly accurate and, and can do things that the hardware, real hardware, meaning also FPGAs, could never do, it's not always the same. Sometimes you could call it better, but the accuracy of it, I mean, that's the coolest thing. I mean, especially for games that like, if, you know, arcade board collectors, that's great if you want to do that for yourself when you want to restore them and keep them. But if you're running tournaments and you're bringing five arcade boards and what if one of those snaps in your bag on right. your way, you're out $1,000. Yeah. 
hours, yeah. and whereas a bag of five misters, right? In totally a case, different. right? Yeah. Like my little mister here is probably a little bit more at risk, but still, like, but yeah. you know, if the mister breaks, you're not losing a piece of history either. It's right. It's, it's replaceable. It's replaceable. Whereas, good luck trying to find like a full CPS three kit, you know, with HDMI mm -hmm. out and all that other stuff. So. So there's a developer named Totego that is, uh, I actually, somebody from the fighting game community donated a CPS3 board and I'm just mailing it to him now to take a look at. And he thinks he could make that work. Um, there's been some speculation that the Nintendo DS might have worked, but I don't think so. I think in its current form, it wouldn't run a full speed core. So that's definitely a, probably a cap limit there. Uh, I don't think PlayStation 2 would do it. I don't think Dreamcast, but I think anything before that would probably be doable. It just takes people willing to put the time in to do it. Um, and sometimes it's a matter of just finding the time and taking the information, but other times it involves full from scratch reverse engineering. So I think the ceiling for that would probably, like 90s and earlier would probably be the, the latest that I would say, and uh, with the exception of the Game Boy Advance, because that was 2000s, but for now that's what I would say in the current hardware form, uh, and just people taking the time to do it. I think what will happen too over time is these FPGAs get less expensive. You know, I think you'll see this project kind of morph into different base hardware you know, as, the, as the base point. And if I'm not mistaken, I, I think the code for FPGAs is pretty portable. So if yeah. there is another, F, was it Verilog, is that, is that the language? Mm -hmm. And so you can go from a small one to a big one. You know, so it's not like you're, the, the world doesn't end if the DE10 Nano goes away. It just might get more expensive if there's no other alternative. But you have to maybe get into a more expensive you know, baseboard to start with. And it's been funny about this too, and I'll take, I'm sorry to go off track here, but um, the Terasik who makes the, the board has never acknowledged this use case they offer this as a, as a, it's kind of, is the price subsidized, Bob? Is it, the know? cost is subsidized, which is why, like, if you were to just buy that chip off a of DigiKey or Mauser, it would be more expensive than the entire kit itself. It's subsidized because it's used as an educational tool. And uh, Terasic themselves have even acknowledged that this Mr. Project is an extremely useful education tool because just because we use it for video games doesn't mean that other people aren't going to use it to be able to take what they've learned and apply it to their day jobs. So this is a, this is a nerd gateway drug like no other for <laughs> exactly. people. And, and this, all this code is open source. So this is the other thing is that although the, the, the DE10 Nano itself is a closed source piece of hardware, most of the Mr. Project hardware is open. All of the co source code for the cores themselves mostly is open. All open. All open. So you could download this, run it into Verilog. Is that what they're using? Um, so you, and mm -hmm. HDL. You can you can start looking at how this circuit stuff works. I have no idea, um, but I think they see a real value to that. But what's funny was that they've never acknowledged the use case. You go on Amazon, all you read about on the reviews for this is like Mr. 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 Um, although I guess there was a, um, they, they did send out a communication about support requests, I think, or something. Yeah, like, they, did, they did acknowledge it from, a, you know, make sure if, you, if you're using the Mr. Project, make sure you're using quality components and don't right. send the DE10 Nano back because it's broken if you're using bad components, which is, echoes what all of the nerds out here has been telling everybody forever. Don't, you know, don't jump on and buy the cheapest thing, buy from reputable vendors. And that's actually a good, a good point to bring up is that when you look around, there's a lot of I.O. boards that all look the same. Mm. So how do you know which one, we're, I guess you're saying reputable Mr. Community vendors are probably the ones to approach. Yeah, so it's, you know, uh, it's, it's hard to tell because it's an open source project. Anybody's able to make them. So you could have somebody that's never been in the public eye before hand solder them flawlessly 
And how would you know that that that's flawless? So it's thing I hate kind of saying this, but go with the names that you know, the names that are talked about on all the different podcasts, because they bend over backwards to make sure there's quality control. And I hate alienating the the one-offs that are probably excellent, but it's just it's hard for me to give a recommendation unless I know there's consistent quality. Because that's the other thing. Anybody could take their time and make three or four really good ones, but right. try making three or four hundred. Right. So yeah. Especially when you look at the SD RAM component, because if the timings are off on that memory or it's not good RAM to begin with, mm. um, you, you're going to have a lot of in, you're going to have a lot of instability. So you know, buying reputable, from reputable vendors within the community, I think is really, really critical. Yes? Either of you guys aware of uh, any efforts to make a physical media playable through Mister, like a, a cartridge slot? That's not on anybody's radar at the moment because the amount of work to make that happen would, they would rather spend that time elsewhere. So it is absolutely possible, but the biggest limitation of using the DE10 is that it's a general purpose device designed to be a general purpose teaching tool. So if you were to do something like take that chip and make your own version of this, you could have all the pins wired out in a way where you could add a lot of stuff. You could add cartridge adapters, you could do all of this different stuff. Um, but the whole point of, surround, or of centering it around this piece of hardware is, it's a, you know, an education-based tool that's gonna to be around for a while, and when they come out with the next version, the developers themselves, not me, I'm not smart enough to, but the developers could easily port that code over. Whereas if you had a fully custom thing, now everybody's locked to one set of hardware. So uh, you know, while there's certainly possibilities of that stuff, somebody floated the idea of maybe having a ROM dumper connected, like a USB. Actually, uh, I guess what comes to mind is like the Retrode. Yeah. So I think that's possible, and I think people, you know, it would just take somebody that's an expert in that to, to code it in, but it, w it would be very much like the Retron 5 in that you're not reading it off the cartridge, you're saving the ROM to the mister and then saving the save file back to the cart when you're done with it, which is fine, it's just, you know, I just wanted to be clear in the answer. And that brings up another thing I, I, I did not talk about, which is the fact that some of the features that you'll find on software emulation are more difficult to implement on the mister because of the hardware uh, component to it. So save states are not common, although they're becoming more common. Yeah. So the Nest Core does it now. Yes, the but, same developer, Robert Pipe, is that he loves those. Mm -hmm. So especially for testing, because he could go back and you know test a bug in the same spot. Mm -hmm. So he's been writing that in, and he's been backporting it to other cores. But it's not something that you find on every core. It's just you know whatever the developer has time to figure that out. And the arcade cores won't save high scores consistently either. So that's so I love Zaxxon, and I just like to have my score saved. And it was bugging me for a while that it would never do it. Now it does. Um, so that's the other thing with Mister is that some, if it bugs somebody enough, they're going to try to figure out the beauty mm -hmm. of open source. Somebody's going to fix it. It won't be me because I can't do that, but, but somebody at some point will. But you don't have a lot of the creature comforts. You know, if you're in you know, something like RetroArch where there's you know, a universal save state and universal controls and universal uh, rewind and, and look ahead, you know, none of that stuff is likely going to make it to this um, because it is much more difficult to implement those those kinds of creature comforts. Um, but we're starting to see more. Yeah. Is anyone looking into attaching real cartridge adapters in order to support cartridges that have not just storage on them, but have, you know, like on Super NES and NES, there were a lot of, of mappers, and some of them are quite obscure, and, and emulating that in the FPGA is not necessarily a lot of space, but, but someone has to do that work. For, for a very obscure mapper. So would that be a motive to support a real-time access to a cartridge? 
They've done the opposite. So they've gone and reverse engineered the mapper itself and the chip on the cartridges themselves so that you don't ever need to plug it in. You just get the ROM and it automatically has the, you know, the accurate recreation of the chip. So it's, you know, it's a very good question, but they just they attacked it from the opposite side of it and just said, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna take this chip, reverse engineer it. And there's been a bunch of code over the years from, um, from backporting this stuff, but they, they've just added the full chip support in. So all you need is the ROM. You don't have to worry about that side. And here's an example of, of one of those things where uh, virtual racing on the Sega Genesis, where they were able to do that. And it actually benefits because you get, you know, whatever work is done here is gonna work on the FPGA for the, the flash carts that are out there as well. So you'll see some of that cross-pollination. Uh, cross yeah. So I have a Bliss uh, 4 play as well. So I'm guessing just, if I wanna use like the original controllers, just use that through USB, mm -hmm. right? And then if I wanna use Lightcut games, then use a Snack. Yeah. Right. Yep. That way I'm not missing out on anything. Yeah, right. and, and actually it's, it's a good point because I, I just researched that for the video I put up last night and, and really the, the polling on, on the mister is like one millisecond, you can set it for that. And the difference, Bob, is very minimal between what you'll get over USB versus a, a snack controller. Yeah, it, it's, it's not detectable by a human, impossible. Even, even by finicky Smash players, there's right. no way that you'd be able to notice one millisecond. So fire. until the, the space aliens genetically modify me, Yes. Um, which is going to be a podcast that we're going to do. I, absolutely. Um, no, no modifications for us, but you know, we'll we're talk about We're already recording it in our heads, in right, heads now. right now. Um, <laughs> like you really want, it's hard to discern the difference. And, and just another plug for uh, Mr. Add-ons, and I'm not, they're not paying us to do this today, but he has a database of how many controllers did he put up on there? Oh, a lot. I think over 100, I think, at this point. So he has a database of over 100 controllers and their performance for latency or lag off the USB. And you can sort it by brand, you can sort it by controller type, the connection type. So he tested USB, Bluetooth, the ones that have their special dongles. And so you can load that up and actually see what the actual latency is. And he measured it electrically. He soldered on wires to every one of these controllers to, to measure that, that performance. Did he, did he use it with the Bliss uh, 4-play? It's on there, yeah. You should be able to double check it. Yeah, yeah take a look at it, because it's, it's, um, it, 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 I found it to be incredibly helpful. And I used to spend a lot of time trying to measure latency with my iPhone and the, the high-speed camera. And now I'm like, oh, let's go to his website and point people at it, which is probably a good marketing strategy. Yeah, I got uh, one of those kits too. I got to yeah. do a live stream with them teaching people how to use it to test their own. But All right, so like, as far as like working with CRTs, are you able to get a VGA output on that? Yep. Um, all you got to do is just change the Mr. INI settings uh, and it'll output 480p VGA. And if you add uh, if you set it to direct mode, it just doubles everything. So it's still no latency at all. It still looks the same. It's still the same refresh rates. And if you add just solid horizontal scan lines, nothing fancy, it looks identical to, as long as your CRT could have the brightness turned up a little bit, but it'll look identical to some fancy RGB monitor. So if you have a VGA monitor yes. and you want the CRT experience, this will a hundred percent get plug just, it right in. Just plug it just like any other basic PC. Basic scan lines and it'll okay. look just like a PVM. Wow. So if you're able oh. to find one of those VGA monitors in a bargain bin somewhere, you could have yourself what looks like a $1,000 solution really? for, for nothing. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, there you go. There's a lot of those hanging around. So you're, you had a question. You could choose which sound chip you would like. And I think there's a few filter options as well. Uh, and I believe the default is what the oh, what go. the general consensus these days is would be the best experience. But I would always argue that whatever your ears like are the best. I'm sure some of the team members, especially Ace, shout out, would probably kill me for saying <laughs> that. But uh, that it, whatever you want to listen to, you have the choice of. But one very cool thing is listening to like 
Sonic 3's opening music with the original 2612 chip and then hitting reset and listening to it with the other chip or even um, toggling in real time, you could totally hear a difference if you have headphones on. And it's interesting to see like who grew up with which model because if you have decent ears, especially if there's any musicians here, like, you'd totally be like, that doesn't sound the way it did when I was a kid. So. And you have the, here's the option right here in the audio to switch between the, the YM uh, 2612 and the 3438. And then they have audio filters, Bob, for the Model 1, the yep. Model 2. So you can, you can kind of get close to that, um, that sound. But there's no noise, unlike the original sometimes, right? Right. <laughs> what are your favorite enhancements to games that the Mister is currently capable of? That's a good question. Oh, I got one that's so silly but so awesome. So um, <clears throat> a lot of uh, arcade shooting games, yeah, if you press the button, you press the button to shoot and you hold to charge. So you can't really set on auto fire because then you lose the charge ability. So you could add another button to it. You just map, you know, when you map the controls, it says map alternate controls, right. skip all but that one remap that one and add auto fire to that one. So you could just be holding down the auto fire button, playing your game, and then when you want to charge, you let go and press the original fire button. That's one that just completely changed the experience for, for a lot of it. And I know it's a silly one, but, and you can definitely do that with super guns, with, uh, you know, with different type of devices and button programmers, but it's just so smooth in the mister. It's so quick to set up. And for me, it's just the CRT. The CRT thing really blew me away because I, I, I didn't realize how good it was. And, and to have this TV in my house that I didn't even know was capable, you know, it just like, mm. it was a whole eye-opener um, of, of... Oh, the, yeah, there's mm. one more, too. I can't believe I forgot about this. Uh, um, so in the 16-bit era of games, especially, it happened afterwards, too, but there were a lot of effects that developers realized they could use the blurriness of composite video to make happen. Right. And the, one of the most famous is the waterfall in Sonic the Hedgehog. So you could turn on a blurry filter and make the whole thing look like composite video, but in the mister, you could only blur the layer that's supposed to be blurred. So Sonic is sharp, all the text is sharp, but you go up to the waterfall and the waterfall looks like water, not just rectangular pixels. I can't believe that one slipped my mind. That's usually the number one thing. Just go right into the setting and you know blur uh, auto. Um, is it composite full blend. On, is that what it's called? Yeah, composite blend. Okay. Off. So that's the choices. Yep. On and then adaptive. Adaptive blend is the one that tries to figure out which layers. Well, the worst thing that could happen is it does nothing and it just looks sharp, which is a great, a great thing to fail on. <laughs> and there's no, there's no lag hit for that. No, so zero. No, so it just does yep. it. The only lag hits you get is if you have like a really incompatible capture card and you turn on different settings to add frame buffers. Um, and, you know, for the scenario of you have a cheap capture card but you're gaming on like an RGB monitor, crank up the lag to a million. Who cares? You're not going to notice because mm -hmm. it's going through your capture setup. But basic settings, um, it, it's it's so low, it's it's perfect. I've got a question on FM. Um, like FM sound chips, is it emulating? I mean, well, it's doing some FPGA work, but how is it reproducing FM sound? Uh, same way it would on the original. It's just turning itself into the chip, and a lot of the chips are extremely accurate. Not every chip in every console or every arcade board, but most of them out there, you know, there's been decapping done to the point where you could actually make it into another chip and out of the code based off of it. Do you think this is going to have a big effect on the collector world? I think it's really going to vary based on the circumstances. I, I would look at something like you know the old Atari games and you know and the old Nintendo games. There's so much there's so much to the experience of the physicality of the artwork and the cartridge and um, certainly you know I think it might perhaps you know some older computer games might be they actually might drive the value up higher if people see these games and like oh I would love to have an actual copy of that. 
that original Ultima or something. I could see that. Um, so no, I, I, I don't think so. I, you know, I think there, it does fill a, a, a role, though, for people that don't have a lot of space. Um, and I, and I'm, I'm harping on this RGB thing, but I, but I think for those who had all these systems, because I, I, I started like, acquiring all these systems that I always wanted to play with before the Mister. And I have a TV, I've got a switch box, I've got all this stuff. But it's so much more convenient to just load this thing up and have everything in one spot. Um, but no, I, I think it, if anything, I think it might drive values up in, to some degree as people rediscover some of the, these things. Very easy. Um, and I am, although I run a tech channel, I am not a coder. Um, I don't know how to solder. Well, I've tried to, but it's like you would watch me to like just burn myself and destroy things. Um, and I had, I had bought the mist. So uh, Bob and Smoke Monster told me to go buy a mister. So, I bought the board. I was sitting on it for, for months because like, I was like, this is another project. Da, da, da. And I took it out in the course of what an hour and a half live stream. I got the whole thing working. Um, so there's one download you do from their website. And then it, once you get the script going, it just, it just loads it all up with everything. You do have to find the ROMs for a lot of the stuff like you would normally. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it's really quick. And it's a, fun, it's a really fun project to tinker with because you are building something. Um, so it's got that PC build kind of thing to it. So you know, I think uh, it, it, I was surprised by how easy it was. Um, and in, in some ways, it felt a little more intuitive than installing um, you know, the, the Raspberry Pi, um, what's, the, what's the, the Pi image, uh, uh, RetroPi. That's an easy thing to get started with. But this felt even easier, because there, there's, there's, no, there's no operating system, really, that's in between you and the game. It's just, mm -hmm. it's just menus that you're navigating, as you saw. So it's. Um, it's a real fun thing to get started with. And there's a great community around it, too, so that are eager to welcome you to the, the house of Mr. Um, <laughs> the, more, the more converts, the better, is, uh, yeah. I think is, the, is how it goes. And uh, if I may add, too, sorry, but uh, the community of developers is awesome. But we would never have any of these cores if it wasn't for any of the developers that are doing it. So if you know if your situation allows and you use the Mr. and you love it, consider throwing whatever the minimum is to the developers Patreon, you know, if you can only do a few, do whichever, you know, supporting your cores. But I try to, I try to link up with every one of them because it's just, I think once you start to understand what goes into these, you realize how much work and how much effort it is. And, you know, no one's making a million dollars making Mr. Cores. Right. So you're, you're paying for dev tools, you're paying for, you know, a, a monitor to test the analog output on. So I, I always just try to politely remind people, if, if your situation allows and you love this thing as much as I do, try supporting the developers somehow. Or, or if you can't, retweet, tell your friends, maybe somebody else can. That's always really helpful too. Just an official Discord, there are sub-discords. I, I would just start by reading through the GitHub um, and then just kind of see, uh, the, the, I think it's the official Mr. Discord. You just go in there, polite, say you're a noob, and they'll treat you really nicely. It's, you know, yeah, obviously if you go in guns blaring, you get what <laughs> yeah. you get, but, you know. <laughs> be, don't, yeah, be nice. Um, there's also um, a, there's a message, there's an official Mr. Message Board. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so that's a really useful search area just to see what, what kind of problems people have encountered. Uh, there's also a Facebook group that's pretty active. So there's, there's a bunch of different ways the community connects to each other. But I'll tell you what, I, I, of all the things, I, I rarely seek help because it, for me, it, like, just, the things that I want to do on it just work. So it's been, it's been really, uh, really good. And a lot of the vendors that are reputable in the community are also really eager to, because obviously they want you to buy some stuff from them, but they also really, they're into this. Um, and they want to help uh, spread the gospel too. 
Um, so the, the DE10 Nano is about, depending on you know, current supply and demand, whatever, about 170 bucks for the baseboard, about another 50 bucks or so, 60 bucks for the, for the SD RAM module. So you know, you're in the door for you know, around $250, give or take, you know, and that's the, the bare minimum. Um, if you got everything, you know, you're in the $400-ish territory. You can buy one that's like pre-configured mm -hmm. on a lot of the vendor sites. Um, I started with the DE10 and the RAM module, and then I bought the USB hub just for convenience. But I had my own, you know, you all have USB hubs laying around. You don't need a big fancy one, just a regular one. Um, so I did that for a while, but I had all this stuff hanging off and I wanted to streamline it. Yeah, actually, I had just Googled that. I used the link of your site. It's 173 dollars 173 There you go. So that's for the DE10 Nano. And like I said, there's a lot you can run on the Nano from the get-go. Um, so you can take a look. I did a video on it a while ago. I think um, there's a few other resources about what runs just on the bare board. And there's a lot that you can get started with there. And the only other thing, too, I always forget, the USB port that you use to connect peripherals is micro USB. That's right. So if you're going bare bones, there's like a $6 self-powered USB hub yep. on Amazon that works totally fine for basic controllers. Mm -hmm. It's a very worthy $6 investment, even if you get a fancy kit, because you never know if you need to do some troubleshooting or something like that. And so. it's USB 2, so you don't even need like a faster USB 3. Um, mm -hmm. And the, uh, I, I would actually, there's a good uh, point about the self-powered. Um, you'll notice on my, on my power strip here, I have two plugs. So I power my USB hub separately from the mister itself because the mister is only running with like, you know, five volts, one and a half amps or whatever. So it's not getting a lot of power to the board. So when you've got hard drives like I've got connected, uh, you'll want to power your hub on its own so that you can have enough power to run your peripherals and the mister too. Just like a Pi, same problem. All right. Well, I thank you all. Was this helpful? Was this good? Great. Excellent. Well done. Thank you, sir. It's always a pleasure. <laughs> Hell yeah. And Bob, where can people find you? Uh, Retro RGB on everything. And I'm Lon.TV, and thank you all for stopping by. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.TV supporters, including Gold Level supporters Hot Sauce and Video Games, Brian Parker, Chris Allegretta, Tom Albrecht, Thomas Anfang, Jim Tannis, and Handheld Obsession. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv slash support to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.